0: So diving in to verse 15, what Paul says there, the Apostle Paul, is he says Christ, the Son of God, is the image of the invisible God. To say that Christ is the image of God is to say that in him the very nature and character of God have been perfectly revealed. And in him the invisible God has been made visible he is the one who perfectly reveals God because he shares the very nature of God as the Son of God. He is all that God is. He's just the only way that you can visibly see who God is, and he is the revealer of who God is. Similarly, in, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, this is not on the screen, uh, the author writes, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Christ is the radiance of the glory of God, the radiance of the beauty. We sang Beautiful One as our opening song this morning. And if you wonder what what glory means, glory, the best one word synonym for glory is beauty. The beauty of who God is. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of of his nature. And then he makes a statement that uh, Christ is the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn in the Old Testament, Typically meant, as the word sounds like it means, firstborn in a family. So the oldest son in a family. Um, but sometimes it was used as a title for one to whom God granted superior status or a, and, and distinct from a group of people, regardless of birth order or timing. So, for example, in Exodus, we, we read that God told Moses to say to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son. Calling Israel God's firstborn son was a title of distinction, of God's choosing to set his favor upon Israel. Or in Psalm 89, we read that uh, God said of King David, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So King David was actually eighth in birth order in his family, and he certainly wasn't the first person on earth. So the title, firstborn, is just that as a title ascribing privileged status to highest, highest status. So as the firstborn of or firstborn over all creation Jesus then is unique He's distinct from all creation He is both prior to creation and supreme over creation It doesn't mean He's the first created being It has nothing to do with that at all And we'll have other words as well as the words we've already had that that say He's not created He's just always been there Jesus is not merely the founder of the Christian religion, is He? He was not just a good man who taught people that God, people should love God and love one another, who, got, um, who bucked the system, the religious and political system, and got caught up in a, something that got out of control, and, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. That's not all that he was. He is the image of the invisible God, and he is the supreme one over all creation. And these other things. Verse 16. For by him all things were created. Actually, the most literal translation of that is, in him all things were created. It's not wrong to say by him all things were created, but, but I think specifically what Paul was getting at is, God the Father brought all things into existence by his creative work in Christ. It's, it's an in Christ creation. God created all things in Christ, not apart from him, In fact, John, the Apostle John, writes in John 1:3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So everything in the universe was made by the Son of God, Jesus Christ. There's not a thing that wasn't created in Christ, through Christ, or for Christ. So he says those three things. Everything was created in Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. Nothing visible. There's not a planet. Not a star. Not a galaxy, not a porcupine, not a sea cucumber, not anything visible whatsoever. Not a person, not a hedgehog, not a flower that wasn't created in, through, and for Christ. And there's nothing invisible. Uh, Paul here says, thrones, dominions, rulers, powers, angelic beings, whether good or evil, that wasn't created in, through, or for Christ. I love that it says that all things were created for Christ. It's all for Him. They were designed for Him to rule and enjoy. He is the rightful owner of everything. In fact, that means He is the goal of creation. Creation is all about the Son of God. It's a Christ-centered universe. The Dutch politician, uh, Abraham Kuyper, wrote... There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Christ owns everything. The universe and our planet are not the result of time plus chance plus impersonal force plus matter. Scientist Francis Crick said, Biologists must constantly keep in mind that what they see is not designed, but rather evolved. Like, don't pay attention to what your eyes see. You have to keep telling the storyline. Remember, this evolved. It looks like it's designed, strangely. It's interesting that that it's evolved, right? We have to keep telling ourselves to not believe what, what the evidence indicates. They look like they're designed because they are designed for, by, and through Christ. And since by and in Christ all things were created, of course, what he says in verse 17 is true. Verse 17 says, and he, Christ, is before all things. Simply means he existed before anything else. John chapter 1 again says, he was in the beginning with God. He just always was there with God. He was God and he was with God which is interesting to be, to be God and to be with God, but that's the nature of God. He's one God, but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's how the Scriptures present him. And then in Christ Jesus, all things hold together. Hebrews chapter 1, similar, says, he upholds the universe by his power. So the only reason I'm not disintegrating, and maybe some of you wish I would, but as long as Jesus holds me together, I'm, holding it, I'm being held together. The only reason that people who love Jesus don't disintegrate and stay together is because he's holding them together. The only reason that people hate and despise Jesus are held together is because he holds them together. And if he didn't will to hold them together, they would come apart. It's why the earth doesn't dissolve, why the planets and stars don't explode into chaos. It's why your life, even though when it feels like it's coming apart, if you cling on to Christ, he can hold your life together. He's powerful enough to do that, and he's good enough to do that. You know, how could Paul say this? I mean, if these things are not true, he's nuts for saying these things, because just 30 years prior to him writing this letter, Jesus died a common, the death of a common criminal on a cross in, outside of Jerusalem. And he's making these claims about, about the uh, supremacy of Christ over all things. How could anyone believe Jesus of Nazareth was the image of the invisible God, supreme over everything, sustainer of creation, agent of creation, we, we think that um, it's easier to believe that Jesus died for the sins of the world than it is that he is the creator and sustainer of the universe. But that's because we don't get what we needed and who we needed to save us. That's why Paul moves from praising Christ as a supreme over creation, the first creation, to praising Christ's supremacy and redemption and, and the new creation, which he starts doing in verse 18. In verse 18, he says, "...and he is the head of the church." the head of the church. Head of the body, the church. Paul has just told us that Christ is supreme as the image of the invisible God, the mediator of creation and sustainer of all things. Now he tells us he's head of the body, that is the church. This means Christ is supreme over the church and the source of the church's life. The only reason that the church exists is not a human willpower. It's because Christ is the source of her life. As we saw earlier, Christ was not merely the founder of a religion. Paul says Christ is the beginning. Beginning of what? We don't have to wonder because he's he says it immediately afterwards, he's the beginning, meaning he's the firstborn from the dead. There's that word again, the firstborn. In other words, by his resurrection Jesus becomes the source of new life for others, those who receive new spiritual life, spiritual resurrection and who will, in, when Christ returns, receive physical resurrection, be totally new people with bodies that last forever, that are sin-free. And so Jesus is the founder not of a new religion, but of a new humanity. He is the firstborn of a whole new humanity. Paul was not just stringing together random descriptions of Jesus' roles, if Christ is supreme over creation and he is supreme over the church it means the destinies of creation and the church are bound together they're intertwined it means God's purposes for all creation are being incubated and implemented in the life of the church as we speak Christ is laying the foundation for the new creation with you you got that going for you. That sounds crazy. So what what do we mean by that? Well, first of all, the word church, in before the New Testament, it simply meant an assembly of people, a, a gathering of people. And in the New Testament, it came to refer to the gathering of Christ people. And church gatherings were spreading throughout Israel and the Middle East. And it also took on the meaning of the universal church, all people who have put their trust in Christ and are united to him by faith. When Christ saves people, he saves them into his body, which is the church. So when we say God's purposes for all creation are being incubated and implemented in the life of the church, we don't mean the church is taking over the world in some organizational power play. We mean that because the church consists of those who have new life in Christ through his resurrection, and so are the beginnings of a new humanity, and because that new life is shared in local assemblies of Christians who meet together and share life together, the church is where you will experience the beginnings of God's plan for a new creation. Really. The church doesn't exist for itself. The church exists for carrying out Christ's mission for His His redemptive plan. This means you, as Christ's church, engage in your everyday callings, your jobs, your family, your community life, with gospel-centered intentionality for the glory of Christ. As well as you invest your gifts and time and and community life within the ministry of the church. And as, as the local church, we are to be making disciples of, from all peoples for Jesus Christ among all nations. It means you encourage others, you pray for others. As you serve with others, you eat with others. We'll get to do that today. As you worship with others, as you bear one another's burdens, you are laying the foundation for the new creation, life. What we do matters in Christ's universal plan for saving the universe we have a, a little um, saying up in a frame in our, in our foyer in our house it says only one life will soon be passed only what's done for Christ will last so as we live in Christ and for Christ we are building the foundation for the, the new creation he's doing it but we are his instruments for that So the purpose of Christ being head of the body of the church, the beginning of a new humanity as, as the firstborn from the dead, is that in everything, as it says, he might be preeminent that is, he might have first place, that means he might have the supremacy over everything. He said, "Well, I thought we just read that back a few a verse or two ago. Well, yes. As the firstborn over all creation, he has supremacy over all creation. He has the power and position of being supreme over all creation. But in order to bring about the new creation in which evil is overcome and all things are made new, because we have this little problem of evil, have you noticed? Bad stuff happens. Bad stuff is in me and in you, things are broken. That needs fixing. And so in order for that to happen, Christ had to die for the sins of the world and be resurrected to gain victory that he could transfer into the lives of his people who become the foundation of the new creation. In other words, to redeem people in all creation, Christ needed to unite his supremacy as God with humanity. So our creator and sustainer became human while remaining son of God, which is mind-blowing. But that's our salvation. In verse 19 for, we have the word for. So it's giving a reason. The reason for what qualifies Christ to be supreme over all things in the beginning of a new creation, beginning of a new humanity is that in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It pleased God in all his fullness to dwell in Christ the man. That's crazy. The fullness of God dwelling in this human being, Christ. There's no more need for tabernacle, no more need for temple. We don't contain Christ in buildings. God's fullness dwelt in Christ permanently and fully. So there's no other need for mediators between God and man. You don't need to keep searching for God. He is fully revealed in Christ. You don't need any further proof that God cares for humanity because he downloaded himself into it. Because it was God's pleasure, he delighted to unite himself to the human race. And then, verse 20, we see how he went about accomplishing redemption and through him, through Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Through Christ, God was pleased to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven. The fact that all things need to be reconciled to God means all things in the spirit world, the human world, and the material world have suffered a rupture in the peace, unity, and harmony they had with their original creation. The world is broken. It's corrupted and disordered. There's a lot of good. It's amazing. There's so much good. But it's amazing how corrupt and broken it is. There's Ebola. There are Islamic terrorists who, by brutal force, seek to impose their control over the Middle East and beyond. There's human trafficking. Ferguson, Missouri racism, cancer, alcohol and drug abuse, mental illness, suicide, domestic violence, street children, famine, divorce, redefinitions of marriage, gender confusion, pornography, poverty, homelessness, Tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, pollution, overcrowded prisons, orphans, corporate greed, school shootings, wars. Are you depressed yet? These are the realities of a broken world, and and that's a short list. You know, every generation thinks theirs is the worst. Like, oh, prior generations were better, and and we're in the worst case shape the world's ever been. Who knows? How is God going to reconcile to himself all things? Through Christ, says, making peace through the blood of his cross. Making peace through violence, a violent death, that's his blood, and a cross, the, sh- the shame of a criminal's death. How could the Supreme One be crucified on a criminal's cross? How could the sustainer of the universe allow himself to be crucified? on a criminal's cross unless he had a really loving plan to redeem and reconcile all things to himself. But wait a minute, what does Paul mean? He's going to reconcile all things to the blood of his cross to himself? Because those devil and demons aren't going to be reconciled. They are rebels and The Bible doesn't present any hope for them to be redeemed. And the Bible also says that there's at least some, if not a lot, of people who will not receive Christ's terms of reconciliation through his blood shed on the cross. So what's Paul talking about? The word reconcile usually means to reestablish right relations after they've been disrupted or broken. In fact, that's how Paul uses it in in verses 21 and 22 of this chapter. But here, in keeping with his context, Paul uses it in a very broad sense, the word reconcile, to put everything into right order, to reestablish peace and harmony. So, some will be redemptively reconciled to God by receiving Christ, and others will be reconciled by subjugation, submitting against their will. It's like, some of you are pretty familiar with this passage from Philippians 2. Let's just read Philippians 2, 9-11. It's not on the screen. God has highly exalted Christ and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even now, there is an already aspect to the subjection of evil powers of of the demonic realm. Though the full implementation of, of their defeat awaits the not yet fully implemented, through Christ's death and resurrection, God... In Colossians 2.15, so several verses forward, says this is what God did through Christ. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. He disarmed them, put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So it's like a military victory. So certain is the victory that, that Paul writes he has already triumphed over them, even though they still create quite a mess in this world and our lives and, and the uh, destruction they create in the world but the certainty of their defeat is certain because of Christ's work on the cross so even though evil rulers and authorities are still quite active and menacing they have been defeated they're awaiting the final and certain surrender the verdict is against them until final sentencing regarding the, the world of people reconciliation may be Affected by voluntary submission to Jesus, which is where I hope we're all this morning. Voluntary submission to him, receiving what he's done for us on the cross and his resurrection, which brings about the blessings of salvation. Or it may come by involuntary submission, like we just read, being conquered by the power of his might and being forced in the end to confess him as Lord Reconciliation must be defined by, the, by the, in this context as all things being put in proper relationship to Christ. In the end, everyone and everything will be reconciled in this sense. Everything will be in some kind of right relationship with Christ, whether they are in punishment or whether they are in living, joyful relationship with Him forever. Jesus died not only to provide individuals with salvation, but also to restore a harmony to the universe. That harmony is an assured aspect of of redemption. We see it in Romans 8. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the full redemption of the sons of God when the creation will be set free from its bondage to decay. So those weeds and invasive species, the reasons that we can't grow stuff in our gardens very well. The brokenness of the, of the cre- creation other than people will be renewed. And the creation will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So that's why I'm saying the, the future of the universe is tied to our full redemption. The materials for the new creation are being placed. You, Christ Church, And in verse 21, I think we might have those verses on the screen, there's opportunity for reconciliation for us. And you, who w- were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, that means you needed reconciliation. In verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So you, Christ, has now reconciled, verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. The question is, why would you turn to anyone else seeing Christ as supreme in creation and redemption and new creation? Why would you not continue to cling on to him not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. The gospel is for all creation under heaven. It's for the nations. It's for the whole creation. Dr. Nancy Wrightball, I think that's how she pronounced her name. She's one who contracted Ebola virus in, in Liberia. She was. She's a good example of a person who who saw these truths and and served the Lord in light of them. She she cared for the whole person, the physical person, and she was there for the sake of the gospel as well in Liberia. She and her husband, and just as Dr. Kent Brant, Kent Brant Brantley was doing, and contracted Ebola as well. Um, she just wanted to continue serving the Lord quietly. She didn't want any attention drawn to herself, and and but she couldn't help but to have attention drawn to herself because she was flown back to the United States and to get Ebola treatment. And she said, well, in light of all this attention, the one thing I want more than anything else is for Jesus to be glorified and for his name to be made famous. So she got this. Her heartbeat was for the supremacy, making the supremacy of Christ known. In talking to her daughter-in-law, her daughter-in-law reports this, these words from her. I've asked myself many, many times in my life, is Jesus enough? Have you ever asked that? Have you ever wondered that? Is Jesus enough for the mess you're in, for what you're going through? She said, I wasn't always sure how I could really answer that when I was being put on the plane to come to the U.S. from Liberia to the U.S., I knew I was leaving my home, if you considered Liberia her home, where all my things would be destroyed. I was saying goodbye to her husband, David, not knowing if I would see him again. I was getting on that plane, unsure if I would be alive when I got to the U.S. to see all of you, her family. It was that moment when I cried out and knew, Jesus, you have to be enough. Jesus, you are all I have. You are enough. Let's pray. Father, in Christ alone our hope is found. We read these words, we talk about them, we, we preach them, we hear them, and we, we trust the Bible as your revelation of what's true would you so grip our hearts with these truths, so penetrate and permeate our hearts and our minds with the supremacy of Christ, this amazing, incredible person, Jesus Christ, in whom, through whom, and for whom all things were created. He's holding together all things by his power. And yet he accomplished reconciliation for the universe, for people, for created order, for the decay of the, of the planets and for um, the defeat of demonic forces and the victory of good angels and for the renewal of humanity ultimately in a disease-free, death-free, sin-free and new creation he guaranteed all that and, and we live in, in between that already this has been accomplished for us but not yet do we see it and our, our lives are our, full of struggle and defeats and sinfulness. And, and so, Father, we, we need this Scripture to be made living and powerful in our church and in our lives, to be about spreading the message of reconciliation and and, and caring for the creation and and caring for the spread of the gospel and caring for people and making Christ known and famous. Help us, Father, to be doing that in any, any ways that are in our normal everyday lives as well as things that we can do more effectively together. We ask this in Christ's name alone. Amen.